got the Need the Need to Podcast. This is episode 37, Edge of Tomorrow from 2014. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us tonight, Mike, we have someone who I, I thought, I remembered he was on the Burbs, and I couldn't remember if he had been on Cruise Club or not yet, and I looked back and I, he was, indeed, on Cruise Club. A movie that you love, that I'm not quite fond of, not that I dislike it. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Our last guest, this was his favorite Cruise movie. Wait, what was the movie he was on before? You're, you're, you're leaving me in high and dry. I can't remember. Interview with a Vampire. Oh, yes. Lestat. Lestat. My main man. Uh, was Matt Delhauer's favorite Tom Cruise movie. With us tonight, we have Nick Jenkins. Hello, Nick. Hi. How's everybody doing in this these weird times? <laughs> oh, very well. Welcome I mean, back. as well as we could be doing. You know. You know. <laughs> we have uh, crazy ramped up production on these because we were alternating these with the Tom Hanks episodes, but because we are so near the end, they are both weekly now. So also, as this comes out on Friday, May 8th, also out today is The Terminal, which we already recorded, which is a weird, weird movie. Yes, very strange little flick there. <laughs> okay, well, before we get into Edge of Tomorrow, which I don't want to offer any spoilers, but I think we all absolutely love and adore, let me give a quick, and this is not going to be quick because they're never quick it's because never all quick. of Tom Cruise's movies are all like wildly <laughs> complex. So Nick, we have, a, we have a joke here, like kind of a running joke on the show. I do a plot summary, sort of kind of like your 60 second plot dump that you used to do on Real Bad, but not timed. And I do the for the Cruise movies and Mike does it for the Hanks movies. And so the Cruise movies are all like these wildly complex sci-fi, high theory, Super whatever movies. Yeah. <laughs> and then Hanks is like, yeah, he's stuck in an airport. <laughs> right? Yeah, like like he falls in cool. love on the phone. All right. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for the, uh, you know, thanks for getting my back here. So, okay. Here is what Edge of Tomorrow is about. I wrote, I write this down as I watch the movie, and then I condense it. And so this is the condensed version, and I apologize okay. that it's already long. Okay. Aliens called Mimics land on Earth and conquer most of Europe. So we form the United Defense Force, the UDF, to combat them and finally get a win at Verdun. Tom Cruise plays Major William Bill Cage, no relation, media relations for the Army. Against his will, he's forced to join the UDF and is demoted to private. Um, he's sent to war. He kills a blue alien, which we find out is called an Alpha, but dies. He wakes up back at the base, but remembers dying. He remembers everything. Keeps happening. As he keeps dying, he gets better at predicting and avoiding his deaths. He meets back up with Emily Blunt, who's sort of in and out of the movie. She had what he has. She has him find her. Uh, she plays Rita Bratasky, who is the Angel of Verdun. She is kind of the face of the war effort. She is this war hero. We won the Battle of Verdun because they let us win. And so this whole Operation Downfall, this like human effort to like, we're going to eradicate them, it's going to be the surprise effort. It's sort of like D-Day. It's all a trap. They're going to kill us. But we learn that by Cruz killing that blue mimic in the first life, what's called the Alpha, it gave him control of the Omega's ability, the head alien, to reset the day and effectively win every battle by being able to replay it over and over again like a video game. So then we see them train for combat every time that he comes back to life everyone forgets everything except for him so he has sort of develops a shortcut with emily blunt to remind her or let her know that uh, he knows exactly what she had because she had it before cruz has visions of where the omega is they explore eventually they steal a device that lets cruz tap into the omega to find its position the issue is that he gets attacked and given a blood transfusion which loses his reset power eventually they hire or they recruit uh, the platoon that Cruz was stuck with at the beginning of the movie. They fight to the Omega. Cruz blows it up and dies, but he's coated in the Alpha and the Omega blood. So once more, he wakes up on a helicopter this time 
as a major, not as a private. The mimics have sort of backed down. He finds Rita. Things are different, but also exactly the same. She greets him very icily, and all he can do is laugh. Good job. That's the movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's basically Groundhog Day meets... Independence Day? Okay. Yeah. It's Ground Dependence Day. <laughs> the Groundhog Day mechanism, story, mm-hmm. like plot device, has kind of been played out. However, it has created two of my absolute favorite movies of the last 10 years, this movie and Happy Death Day. Like, those two movies, I think, are absolutely wonderful. Uh, I also really like Before the Fall, Before I Fall, Before the Fall, Before yeah, I Fall. It's the Zoe Dutch movie. The ones you mentioned are the only ones I'm aware of, and it's funny how it can kind of, you could do one per genre, it seems, and then it goes yeah. away a little bit, you know? And they're all, like, the, each these, like, perfect little examples of how to, how to use this uh, technique in screenwriting. It's crazy. Well, Russian it. Doll did it, too, on Netflix. Oh, I have not watched. Series. I'm sorry. Which is good. It's not as good, but I feel like it's it's maybe maybe it's not played out. But it feels like oh, it's another Groundhog Day thing. But like sometimes it just it works. And I think you're right, Mike. It's like the one time per genre thing. Whether it's horror, whether it's this action sci-fi alien invasion, when you do it right, it's like okay, we can never do that again. Like that's like they did it. It's it's perfect and it's done. Yeah, but you could say that after Groundhog Day as well. Sure. Yeah. 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 You could say that, but you know, I, I think it's great. I, I think like I don't think there is a perfect slasher, for instance. You know, which is basically a subgenre of horror, right? You could say there are lots of great examples of it. And I think that we have that here. I think we have lots of great examples of this being used well. And come to think of it, though, I don't, at least off the top of my head, I don't know if I've seen a real bad one. Groundhog Day effect in movies. I feel like I had a conversation <laughs> with my friends. <laughs> it's it's interesting because, you know, when this movie came out, um, I, I was kind of like, oh, uh, it's it's hanging itself on the Groundhog Day thing again? Like, this, this I can't see this really going to well and I watched it I was like wow I like this more than Groundhog's Day I think part of it was crushing my expectations of it being able to work twice and then with Happy Death Day being like oh my gosh like this can kind of keep working as long as you just like are clever enough or smart enough or like don't try and control it too much and just let it play out yeah I, I totally agree with that and it was interesting to me too because like I love Groundhog Day I think it's an incredible, almost one of those perfect films that was going around Twitter right now. I would say that Groundhog Day is up there. And so I had the exact same reaction that Mike did, was like, oh, it's Groundhog Day, but it's sci-fi. But I I mean, for me, sci-fi is always, like, that's the hook that gets me in. And I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but, like, this film didn't perform really well, and it was in and out of theaters before I even realized it. Yeah, even at a title change and everything like that. I wish I... This is one of those movies I wish I'd been able to have seen on the big screen. I almost certainly did, but I don't remember for sure if I did or not. Oh. But I think, like, it came out in the era... I want to say it came out in the era of Movie Pass, which means that I would have seen it. I remember going to, like, uh, not, like, one of the better theaters to see this. I think it because, like Nick said, it was sort of like... Not it was underperforming, you know, especially for I think for a Tom Cruise like alien, you know, war kind of film, like a summer blockbuster. But I remember seeing it at like kind of the rundown theater and it played like incredibly. Everyone was like sort of shocked as to like, wait a second, like what am I watching? <laughs> oh, I did see it. I saw it in IMAX three D apparently on June fifth, twenty fourteen. Oh god, three D would give me a aneurysm with this movie. Yeah, I don't remember that. I mean, that's also, uh, ooh, it was like three weeks after Godzilla in IMAX 3D. I feel like this movie and that Godzilla movie, which I also love, have a lot of kind of visual and aesthetic similarities. I think that was a great 
early summer blockbuster season for surreal sci-fi, sort of. I know this has like inspiration from a manga comic, and I'm definitely feeling yes. it. And I also got that obviously Godzilla being you know like a Japanese property, and so it didn't come from manga, but like they sort of share some kind of bond. I feel visually and aesthetically as well. So, so it is based on the manga "All You Need Is Kill," which was written by Hiroshi Sakurazaka. There's a lot of the IMDb trivia, which I got rid of a lot of it, was about the similarities and the differences to the source material. And one thing, the thing that I that stood out to me is I was comparing this, you know, because Mike, I know that you love Happy Death Day. Nick, have you seen Happy Death Day? Do you like it? Have you not seen it? Do you not like it? I have seen it, and I do love it. Wonderful. Okay. So you know how in that movie, every time Tree wakes up, she like feels... I mean, Cruz also feels the pain of his death. Like, he remembers dying, right? But, like, in that movie, sort of spoiler, kind of, as it goes on, she goes to the doctor, and he's like, what is going on with your body? Like, she takes, like, an x-ray or whatever. He's like, I don't know what, like, it looks like you've you've been stabbed, like, whatever. Like, you know, she has, like, this accumulation of injuries, even though her body physically on the outside appears normal. I was like, it's weird to me that Cruz does not suffer that it seems like it seems like he wakes up in pain and then things kind of reset but apparently in the comics the cage character as he goes on he starts developing like worse and worse headaches which i guess is kind of like a nice little thing but i think the bigger point i'm trying to make here is that i like that it's kind of streamlined in the way like as as sort of jarring as it is to me that that's not included here the fact that this movie is an hour 53 i was like that's it feels like it should be so much longer it could be but the fact that it's so like condensed i was like oh this is i think this is another reason why this movie is so great i think there are a couple things to look at with this like it's a science fiction twist right like regardless of the alien part like this the groundhog day twist is like a sci-fi twist it's a it's a something you could put into a twilight zone and would feel completely at home in a twilight zone i think one of the things that happy death day did that i really appreciated was that that hitch that she's kind of slowly dying like she like her body can't take this and with groundhog day and with geez i just want to keep calling it live die repeat edge of tomorrow it's a mental thing so when he's waking up i don't think he's waking up in pain he's waking up scared usually like the jolt has that's fair something about the jolt whether he's been shot or whether he's you know was hit by a truck or whatever it wakes him up like he's waking up out of a nightmare and i think there are different ways that you can do that and i i love that we are getting different things like that like the conceit in happy death day is wonderful that it's slowly killing her because it gives you an it gives you an end or a climax that you're going to or a ticking clock almost which this movie does in a different way which is smart absolutely and so i think yeah getting clever writers to take this idea and then do something a little bit different with it as is really great and i like that it's just a mental thing in here because it made me question things throughout the movie you don't want to have answers for in a sci-fi thriller like this you don't need all the answers it doesn't have to logically work every time because like theoretically muscle memory wouldn't work you're not training those muscles have now been untrained from what... It's a real matrix situation. Like, why do my eyelids hurt? Because you've never used them before. (laughs) Exactly. So, like, things like that. Like, you don't want to know, but it did... I was, like, pleasantly thinking about it. Like, oh, so mentally he's going through it. So he's remembering these things, but he's still the same strength that he was. Like, he's not building muscles. (laughs) And I don't know, just a lot of interesting stuff to just sort of marvel at, but it doesn't matter that it can't be answered or it wouldn't work or whatever. It's still such a thoroughly enjoyable story. That conceit of waking up again and again and again until you get it right. Ah, it's so great. And it, it does it this time without... I know I love Groundhog Day, but I also hate the character of Phil because you're supposed to. He's supposed to be just a royal jackass. Right. It's weird to see Tom Cruise playing such a 
sort of a nebbish guy. Like he's just he's afraid of things. He's he's not really a hero by anyone's standard. And to see well, him... real quick, that's why Doug Liman, the director, wanted to do this movie is because he said you finally saw Tom Cruise bad at something. Like this is such an opposite, like an antithetical Tom Cruise of what we've seen. Because this is not him. Like it's him, but it's not him. It's so great, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's terrific, and I buy him instantly as this sort of squirmy coward right off the bat, too. And you know, there's a lot of ground to cover here without dealing with things like you know Joey, like you know physical internal trauma and stuff. But they do manage to deal with it as like a mental trauma. You know, like this. Yeah. I buy every turn this character makes, beat for beat, throughout this film. It's like written all over his face by the end of the movie. You know, and I don't know. I, I attribute some of like the questionable stuff just to part of the alien powers you know like his incredible acute memory that he suddenly developed you know and being able to like memorize days and days and days and all this kind of information and things but I mean it's just an incredibly streamlined and like economic you know script and and story the way it plays out as much as they need to cover and I give him a lot of credit for not doing something that I think as much as I love and it works in Happy Death Day and Groundhog Day like those movies seem to cover more of the day every day and this does a great job of showing like important days and like right. you know the training learning about the Omega it's very cool how it decides to like spend its time on what it wants to repeat and repeat well I think that's what's really a big difference to your point a big difference between this movie and Happy Death Day is like, I feel like in Happy Death Day, we see every time Tree dies. And I think to a certain point, she's just like, I'm going to have fun, right? Like, I'm going to walk through school naked. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like, whatever. I'm going to die. There's nothing I can do about it, right? And then as things go on, she starts like becoming physically affected by it and has to like be smarter about it. And like, sort of at the end here in a similar way, when he gets the blood transfusion, he's like, okay, now it matters, right? My favorite moment in this entire movie is when he first has the first conversation with Emily Blunt and he like tackles her and he's like, we need to get off the beach. And you see him without looking, shoot up and kill a mimic and then rocket to his left without looking and kill another mimic. And I'm like, that is so fucking cool. Like, it's so cool. <laughs> the fact that they reset this probably hundreds, if not thousands of times, like they never really mention. There's, like, I think, like one maybe reference to like, a time span, but not really. Like, he's done this so many times that we're not seeing, and he's dying over and over again. And he's living the entire night where he has to go through boot camp, and he has to wake up, and he has to drop and deploy on the beach, and he has to find Emily Blunt. And, like, you know, he's probably not doing everything up to that point perfectly. So he's like, it's just, it's got to be so frustrating. But this movie to your point, Mike, jumping to where it matters and when it matters is like, oh, this is the right way to do it. Like, maybe a movie hasn't done it the wrong way, but like, this is indisputably, I think, the right way to do this. I don't disagree. <laughs> and I also think, cool, good, I'm glad. I also think that like, it's not, you know, like you were saying about, it's not muscle memory. I think he's he's essentially learning a dance. Like, they're learning a ballet. Like, it's an action <laughs> yeah. ballet, right? Like, you know, when, when he's like, step left, duck right and she's like step left she's like trying to remember like it's it's a dance it's a choreographed dance you said something earlier about like it kind of being like a video game and and lately i've been watching a lot of speed running during the quarantine because mm -hmm. like those guys are just it's all like you know you just memorize the whole game like yeah. mu like mm -hmm. it's beyond muscle memory it's just like some of these guys do shit with their eyes closed it's just mind-boggling and stuff and so like well, i you can watch blind speed runs like people yeah. do play the games with their eyes closed yeah and there's almost like moments in this movie where you know he could like do he does right he fights the one guy at night in the rain with his eyes closed right so yeah. you know like more to your point point. and then when they're at the end they're stealing the thing from the general's office we don't see it more than once we see it, like they've probably done it 
a dozen or more times, but it's like the step forward. Okay, now step back. Now get in the elevator. Now get out of the elevator before and go in the room back. Like it's like this very choreographed thing. Like it's almost like Splinter Cell, right? Like it's just like I can't be seen by the guards and whatever. It's beautiful. It's a beautifully shot and like well like laid out and choreographed and orchestrated scene. It is, and it, it, it to go back to a point that you were making before about the speed runs. I remember there were times I would play video games against people who were like that, and they would actually caution me and say, "Look, this is not going to be any fun for you." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And they were like, "Well, because it's not about playing the game; it's about timing things. Mm-hmm. So you're moving faster than you're actually moving faster than the frame rate to be able to make these characters do this, this, and this." So it's not so much that I'm playing against you as much as I'm hacking the system while you're playing. It starts to kind of become that with him even, that it's like he's not really living the day or playing the day most of the time. He's just sort of like 15 steps ahead of everybody else. So that's why he doesn't care most of the time. And it was So I really wanted to hit on that. This feels like a video game because when you play something over and over and over on a video game, I don't know about you guys, but I don't usually write stuff down. Occasionally I will, especially if it's like a long RPG. But generally, it's like, okay, I got to remember that this mutant's arm is coming from this side, and then I've Mm -hmm. got to duck for that and roll for this and then go into my inventory. You know, stuff like that. That's legitimately how it played in here. So I don't know. Maybe it's an accidental relatability. Maybe because, and I think, Mike, you might have been saying this earlier, like the, the interconnectivity or interconnectedness between, like, video games and Japanese culture and anime and then to your point RPGs Mm. like it all kind of feels like this is of a world and of a type Mm -hmm. of storytelling and world building that it feels like a video game almost because like this kind of feels in a similar way you're saying about Godzilla we were talking about Godzilla before this also feels like Pacific Rim right like it's the same kind of like it's the mechs versus unknown aliens and that's you know essentially a video game like that's a kind of a vr game an ar game whatever where you're in the mechs right like Mm -hmm. it's all the same kind of like they look like video game aliens because (laughs) they kind of are like it's the same it's all the same brain it's cool too because like the way they moved is almost like a i like it's missing some frames of animation or something the way like it would like pixels would jump on screen or something and i don't know if any of this i mean some of it has to have been they've obviously like we're like oh look what we've maybe stumbled upon let's explore this a little but none of it feels like in my face in a way that like another movie would make it the whole conceit where it's like look how much this is like playing a game and especially since like video games themselves are so much like movies now but i definitely think there's got to be a correlation between you know the time and place that the original source material was developed you know i.e japan which is like huge gaming society you know and they're coming from uh, manga and all and all that kind of thing like there has to be something there absolutely and uh, Mm -hmm. and i'm glad that it's not like the only thing going on in this movie like that's what's so cool about it too is like there's other things to like look into and pick apart here there are there's so many good character things in this movie some of which don't really go anywhere but i still like them a lot of j squad doesn't really go anywhere but i like all of those people i like them from the moment they're on screen then in the same thing with Cruz's character like I I am I immediately want to know what happens to him like as he goes through and part of that is just there is this there is a charisma about Tom Cruise he is very good at locking you in as an actor and taking over the screen that is not something you can really train right like it's just a big part of who he is but good god Emily Blunt in this (laughs) oh yeah my queen is is, it's one of my favorite movie performances like she is so incredibly good from start to finish from when she's first introduced even kind of in the background when she when she's just a presence that is there 
to all the way through some of her last lines of dialogue uh, in the third act, like she is great and she she exudes this type of confidence that I just love when I see on screen. And it, so like all of these characters roll together. And I even liked Brendan, uh, Brendan Gleeson's lieutenant or whatever he was, general. I think he's back, Joey. I think he's back from far and away, if I had to guess. <laughs> oh, I'll find out. <laughs> there is the sci-fi element of this that I love. I think it's really great. There's the Groundhog Day element that I love. There's also like the action is really good in this movie like the action sequences are really well choreographed so well shot too which this could have been a mess especially when you look at the design of those aliens this just could have been a dc comics mess of smoke and lightning and utter grossness but it's not everything makes sense you can see everything it's beautiful cinematography everything about this the editing editing in the macro where we're just like what are we seeing and when are we seeing it Mm, you know within the context of the movie and then editing down to the micro down to the frame it's just all so good that when i get done watching it Every time when I get done watching, and I think this is probably the fourth time I've seen it, every time I get done and I'm just angry that the movie didn't do better. I'm on such like an adrenaline rush, even when it ends, that like I'm almost <laughs> want to put it right back on because yes. Doug, Doug Lyman does like a, such a great job of creating like urgency and also like has a super sense of geography and everything. And like in a war movie, it's like, my God. But, like, it's funny just to consider, like, they probably were, like, Cruz and Emily Blunt one day with the big map of the of the beach and, like, you know, trying to plan out all the shots and stuff with that and stuff. But it's just astounding, like, how much all this came together. And in a way, like, I almost feel like it shouldn't have worked this well. I mean, because these suits, I love them, but, like, you know, like, that same year, I think we had Matt Damon wearing one in Elysium, right? And they're very Avatar-y kind of, like, you know? And so it's almost like Iron Man without totally being covered so it was almost like it's a little redundant maybe but no it makes it its own and it owns it by the end and i love that his name is cage and he's like wearing a cage the whole movie and stuff like (laughs) it just it makes sense to this story so much and that supporting cast is like emily blunt with her final fantasy sword and everything (laughs) like bill paxton and his little ragtag crew of alien rejects like Mm -hmm. uh, that works so well you know it's such a great little shorthand for what we need to get us embedded with this unit you know we don't we don't have time so like we need to know that they have like these little quirks and personality things and stuff to, to tell them apart and everything. So even if you go a little deeper, going back to your uh, the thing about the mech suit, one thing that I really picked up on this time, which I didn't in previous viewings, maybe I'm just slow. I don't know. But like the idea that they're selling the, the mech suits as why they won the Battle of Verdun. What we find out is, A, no, we won that battle because the aliens let us. And B, right. she lived that day how many times? So yeah, really, exactly. the suits are superfluous. Like, they, they don't actually mean anything. It was it was totally something else, which makes sense when you see them on the field in that opening battle sequence, that they're all just getting smashed. It doesn't matter. It's also great that uh, Grayson Cruz, like, heading the firm that is, like, selling the suits or, like, putting the spin on it all working. We see him very early on, you know, and, and he has that one conversation with Gleason when he's like, you know, my advertising firm got reassessed and I was assigned to the military, yada, yada, and He's like, I'm not a soldier or anything like that. Uh, so I, I thought yeah. it was a nice twist. Like he actually ended up in his in the hardware he was hawking as like a yep. miracle cure. <laughs> and I love that. Like this and this film is peppered with all kinds of stuff like that. It's great. It, it, it really is 
phenomenal filmmaking from script to screen. So a couple things that I want to touch on that you all made such great points about. Number one, Mike, yes, Brendan Gleeson is back from far and away. Uh, also a recurring or returning person, Noah Taylor, who plays the scientist, the oh, lab yeah. tech here. With the mustache. Uh, back from Vanilla Sky. He also plays a lab tech in that one, too. Also great in this movie. Yes, great in this movie. What I love, I think there's like, like this movie has like humor, like laced through. He's like, how many fingers do I have going behind my back? He's like, I don't know. This is the first time I've ever met you. Like, (laughs) I just like that there's like things that, you know, it's, we just covered for Too Fast, Too Forever, my cousin Vinny. It's like, how many fingers am I holding up? Like, please let the record show that he's holding up two fingers. It's like, there's like (laughs) jokes there. Like, I just, uh, wonderful. Love it. Whatever. But what I like about Emily Blunt, going back to Emily Blunt, because we can never talk enough about Emily Blunt, what I love about her performance here is that at certain times in this movie, she's essentially, to bring it back to a video game thing, she's playing an NPC. She's playing a non-playable character. It's like an escort. No matter how he approaches her. She says the same things, right? Like it just mm-hmm. That's right. You know, yeah. <laughs> why are you looking at me? Why are you like blah blah blah? And then like once you kind of get in there, it's like almost like the dialogue tree opens up in new ways. But when he, every time he sees her, as long as he's approaching like in a similar-ish way, she's still doing the same yoga pose. She's still doing the same icy reaction. She's still gonna act this way and do whatever. And if there's something really amazing about being able to act like a robot. But not, but like a person, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's. It's interesting. You just, my favorite shot of this movie is during the, and my favorite part I think is during the montage of her training him in the suit, right? And she just keeps shooting him over and over, and it's the part where it's like shot, and then the guy's like maggot, maggot, you know, like over and yes. over, and. Yes. I'm pretty sure they're just using the same shot of Emily Blunt over and over again, but I'm not positive. And I think that's an attribute to what you're saying about her performance here is is like, I don't know what's going on here, but it's like super powerful and like it's tricking me in a lot of ways where I'm like, I wonder if the filmmakers are screwing with me too in a sense where it's like, no, like you think you know what you're looking at, but like we're switching it up on you to make her seem like a little more, I don't want to say like magical or anything like that, but just like, I don't know, not normal or there's something more elevated about her or something. I'm not sure what I'm getting at exactly. I guess what I'm saying is I just love everything they're doing with her character. and I love that shot, and I need to talk about it real quick. So I do want to give credit to uh, someone who's never going to listen to this, I don't think. But do you remember, Mike, on our... Oh boy, what was that movie? The Bad Keanu Replicas? Oh yeah. Wait, with Tommy Middledee? With Tommy Middledee, yes. Um, on that episode, we had somebody from the Loose Cannons podcast that rebranded as something else. And I found them because I found their year-end video montage, editing montage, right? He did his top 100 movies of the decade so far, like in 2018 or something like that. And this was on there. And the way that he edited, maybe Hypnotize by Notorious B.I.G., like he, he, he sinks... a a biggie song to this clip and it's the her bending up over and over again like so like it's very clearly the same shot but like the way that he's able to edit like the same shot with the same like repeating beat it's just it's beautiful what you were saying mike like whether in this movie they use the same shot or slight variation or whatever like there's something hypnotic about the way that emily blunt can do the same thing over and over again and you like you still can't take your eye like it's just like i know what she's doing like i just it's I can't look away. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much, like, presence in this film. Like, I almost wondered, because I, I, I have not read the manga source material, but I thought I heard something about it being more about the Full Metal Bitch character. I'm not sure if that's true, but, like, I definitely think that she could have carried this movie on her own, you know, with 
like her being the cruise character or seeing her at the battle of Verdun or whatever was going on before this movie or something like I know there's talks of a sequel that they've been talking about a sequel for a really long time I don't know how well, it's or, happening or it's what? pre-production okay I mean I don't know where they're going to go with this story or anything but I hope it's more sort of centered and focused around her character next time just because like that's the one thing I think I wanted more of I think she kind of got like even though she comes back she kind of gets like an unceremonious last death during the finale and stuff and so it's just kind of like I wanted more so in the comic for this is all according to the IMDb trivia she never loses the ability she just senses that as some that she basically senses that someone else is able to reset the day and so spoilers for the comic I guess but at the end in the end she has Cruz's character Cage kill her so that he can like I guess single-handedly win or whatever some like some version of that or whatever right and so I wonder there can only be one maybe if there's a Highlander situation don't I guess no don't, and a trigger word for, for Nick, having watched all five or whatever oh, sorry. in the last year or two. <laughs> 5% of Real Bad is about Highlander. Who boy? Mm, sorry, much, Nicole, yeah. Yeah. again, in retrospect. Yeah, like, I wonder if in the sequel, because he obviously has it now, right? Because he dies, but he gets covered in the goo again, and it resets. So he ostensibly has it. Maybe she still does, too? Maybe there's another alien invasion? Like, who? Because they are also talking about early in the movie, I think, right? Like, there's, like, other satellites or whatever that I could have other aliens and it's the kind of movie where like I don't know that we want a sequel but like if it's good it's good and if it's not good we can just pretend it doesn't exist like I don't think about Pacific Rim Uprising I can just (laughs) you know enjoy Pacific Rim or the filmmakers can pretend it didn't exist just like Highlander 2 yeah you could just slap on like the generic director name when no one wants to put their name on the movie there's like this name that's used and I think like maybe 12 films (laughs) yeah that was it Nick do you have a favorite moment or a favorite part of this movie I, I mentioned mine I think Mike mentioned his is there something about this that, that stands out above all the rest of your favorite part of Edge of Tomorrow there is a really well crafted moment the montage where he's getting better and better and better at training with her that I think ends with him walking in the rain and fighting the two guys I think that's the build up to it but there is we've seen these montages of people getting better and better and better in all kinds of movies action movies science fiction movies whatever they may be there is something special about how his character how his characterization changes through that montage even though there's a lot about Tom Cruise the person I don't like I have to admit that he is a really really good actor and yeah. and when he's paired with a good director that sequence of him becoming better and better how his body language changes how his facial expressions change how his movement changes like i love it it's pure cinema and i just love it and every time i get to it i get very excited and i'm just like ooh i wonder if i'm going to learn something new <laughs> from watching this it's like it's really so that that is my favorite thing i have a lot of favorite moments in this film but that's the one that especially on the last watch really affected me yeah. It's so great, too, because, you know, like, I always found the training montage, while I love it, is there's always something just so, like, it just reminds you so hard that you're watching a movie no matter what. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But what's great about this movie is that the whole idea of him repeating a day works with the idea of a training montage, I feel like, in general. The whole like, movie yeah. is a training montage. <laughs> Pretty much. So, like, it just sort of elevates that to make it one of the best, like, in film history <laughs> montages in general. It is. and it, But it also, you know, it pairs well with the idea that you know he's dying every time and there is pain and there is it's not just a simple thing of like you know Phil wakes up in the morning from maybe going to sleep or whatever like his reset button is painful and scary 
and horrifying for him. And so that carries over into this montage, maybe not on the first viewing, but if you watch it a couple of times, you do start to pick up on like, it goes back to what you guys were saying earlier about like, he is now, like at the end of this movie, it's been a day, but he is now a war vet. And that makes him different. He's seen things and he has experienced things. And that montage is not only just showing him becoming awesome, but also it's showing a part of his humanity going away because of what he's having to witness. And so, yeah, that montage is really quite brilliant for me. I also love, I think, like a moment that hits me hard like that too later on is um, when he realizes he has to try it without Emily Blunt. Like he's woken up by the drill sergeant and the drill sergeant's like, get up on your feet, maggot. And he takes like one look at Cruz and kind of has like, oh shit, like what's this guy been through kind of look? (laughs) Like he's got that stare in his eye already, you know? (laughs) Uh, And then that whole sequence of him in sort of like that kind of half motion just dominating the beach on his own and doing it. But like, yeah, there's so many moments that just like, they hit all those like important beats to make you feel the growth of the character, which is great. Absolutely. Now on the flip side of the coin, is there something about this movie that you don't like that we would fix your least favorite part of Edge of Tomorrow, Nick? Anything that you want to point out that you don't love about this movie? Um, You know, kind of hard to say because I do think it is a, I do think from beginning to end, it's pretty solid. Uh, I am never a fan of crappy green screen news report things. And that opening sequence of the news reports about what was happening, maybe the movie doesn't work as well without it. I'm not sure. But it really initially set me off on the wrong foot. Just I don't know. It just seemed like uh, everything seemed so fake. I think Anderson Cooper's voice was used at the beginning, which is also something that I'm like, ah, I don't like it when movies do that. Like, I don't know. There's something about that that is not great for me. And I still, and even in this film, when it starts, I'm like, oh crap, I forgot about this. So yeah, that opening montage of of news reports and crews being interviewed, and there was something about it that didn't work for me. It's the second movie in a row, Mike, that we've had with this in Oblivion, where we get like a hit over the head with a lot of information Just quickly, a, but I yeah, think the way dump. that this movie does it is a lot more graceful than Oblivion. Even though it's like crazy in your face, I think it works a lot better here than it is in Oblivion. And I also do want to say that like at one point, there's Brendan Gleeson on screen like a split screen with Wolf Blitzer and Wolf Blitzer is going to return in Mission Impossible Fallout in a much bigger <laughs> role so no spoilers That's for that funny. Nick, Nick hasn't seen any Mission Impossible movies since 2 so Ooh, yeah, I spoil I, that but Wolf I Blitzer comes back in Fallout two. in a weird cool role I definitely hear what Nick's saying over, I, I generally don't like when opening credits are used as a exposition dump for any movie to be quite honest with you but you know if it has to be done I guess it has to be done there seems to I mean this just feels like a moment where there is an extra 15 or 10 minutes before the action that they just have decided to chop or you know and just condense for what it is it's funny like I remember it kind of rubbing me the wrong way initially but like now it just feels kind of realistic like (laughs) if there was like an alien evasion there would just be like this pop coded news every day that would just be like yeah everything's fine everything's cool like we got these new suits it's gonna work out yada yada like here's the plan and so there's something this time around that was just like oh look at look look at the look at this confidence that that they have and they're just gonna get crushed immediately (laughs) i don't know if it's it's i don't know if it's a difference of show not tell but like the visuals of this as opposed to just tom cruise being like 
The year is 2077. 60 years ago, we had a football game, and then this. Oh happened. yeah, this yeah, happened. yeah. It's, it's like, Dear Diary a time, right? Like I prefer this from Dear Diary any day. I do want to say that this movie apparently takes place in 2020, so this is this year. So I guess we're maybe building toward this. That would this would you know an alien invasion would really make this year like really <laughs> crowning gem of like what this year is missing, right? Just like alien invasion to like totally mess us up. Really Boy, tie the room together. Yeah, it really would. <laughs> Uh, Mike, what about you? Anything else, anything about this movie that you don't love? Least favorite moment? I don't think this is necessarily like a slight against the movie. I think this is more a thing like, Nick, it's just like modern filmmaking maybe, like a byproduct of that. Um, I can't see as much as I'd like during the final assault on the Louvre. Like when they hit Paris with the Motley crew and their whatever, dragon ass across or like hydroplaning their jet. And like I want to see more of really what's going on. And I get it, the cover of night and stuff, but I feel like shoot a little day for night or whatever and and, you know movies in the past have done a better job of showing darkness clearer than that and so I was just kind of like ooh I don't know if this was like a time restraint kind of thing or or maybe like a like they they switched up the third act some kind of way and they just needed to rush it a bit but it was it was definitely the only time in the movie where I was like ooh these effects are starting to like really get to me Uh, and I was just glad that like it was at the end and didn't really have to like put up with too much more of it and you know, again, it doesn't. It's not going to kill the movie. You know, I'm going to definitely watch it a hundred more times if I can. Uh, <laughs> but like, if I had to, you know, nitpick, I had to search really hard for that. I did think of a uh, a Tom Nection, not a Cruise Nection, but a Tom Nection inter inter Tom play there at the end. You know, they're like, this thing's not going to fly. It's like we need to fly. We just need to get with a lot of speed over there really quick. And I was thinking at the end of the first Toy Story where Buzz Lightyear's like, we're not flying, we're falling with style. It's just like, <laughs> neither of us are flying. It's just like, we're getting from here to there in a different way. And I was like, you know, a little Tom action. My <laughs> least favorite part is at the end, I think I could be talked into liking it. And especially after I found out the backstory behind it. But at the very end of the movie, actually, let me, let me take a step back. So Emily Blunt is gorgeous. Tom Cruise is gorgeous. There's sexual chemistry between the two of them. Yet he keeps living the same day over again, and she meets him every day, right? So, like, there's sexual tension, there's sexual chemistry, but, like, there's never really a relationship. And there's sweet moments, like, when they go to the, the, the barn, and, you know, he knows how she likes her coffee, and that's only in that moment she's like, wait, we've been here before. Like, how many times have we been here before? And I like the jokes of, like, you know, have you tried everything about getting it back? Like, have you tried having sex a lot? Like, I could have <laughs> sex a lot. Like, that's really funny. But at the end... When they're about to go, and they're about to go, you know, she's going to be the decoy, and he's going to go kill the Omega, and then she kisses him. I'm like, she's known him for like 18 hours. And I get that it's a very tense, emotionally draining, emotionally invested time, but like, it feels very movie to me. Mm -hmm. What really blew my mind was that was Emily Blunt improvising. Oh, That moment is not in the script. That moment was a surprise to Doug Lyman. That moment was a surprise to Tom Cruise. She said it just felt right, and I did it. It's cool that it's her agency, but it feels to me very movie moment. Like the two action heroes kiss before the big action finale. And I don't love that. It's weird because to me it seems out of character for her, for Rita. Because she is such a pragmatic... Like, we have to do this, we have to do this, we have to do this, this is the plan. Oh, now things are even more heightened, oh God. So I would agree with you. I think I blinked every time that happened because I have no memory of it. Yeah, this was the only, this was the first time I actually caught that. I must have seen this movie, no joke, like five times now all the way through, right? And I, you know, what I thought 
was like, huh, that's interesting. And then the, the immediate thought that came into my mind was for luck, almost like when <laughs> Princess Leia kissed her brother without knowing it. Like, you know, and they're at the very Wait, they're end. they're brother and sister? <laughs> oh, spoilies. Oh, spoilers. Spoilies. But yeah, like that, that's what came into my mind. I was like, we're here. We're at the very last boss. Here's an extra power up or whatever. Here's a boost. Like, it's just for luck. Go get him, sucker. You know, I, you know, because I didn't feel any sexual vibe between either of them the whole movie. It has such a different weight for the two of them. Like, Cruz has spent a thousand days with her, right? Like They've had 50 first dates, yes. We'll put it in Adam Sandler terms. Like, yeah, he, <laughs> he has time to fall... He's had time to fall in love with her, right? It's right. just... She doesn't. She hasn't. The weight of it, like, it feels like in that moment he should kiss her, but I also understand why that would be weird. Hmm. So, like, the fact that she kisses him, I guess, is better. But, like... The way that it's shot, like, they're like, okay, I'm, like, she's like, we're, neither of us are, it's the conversation where she's like, neither of us are getting out of here, we know what we have to do, I'm gonna go be a distraction, because I think it's like one of those, like, you can't let yourself be killed, I'll let myself be killed, you go kill the Omega, whatever, and she's like, look, we're, neither of us are getting out of here, I'm gonna go do this, you go do that, we're both gonna die, but we're gonna save the world. Their faces are, like, six inches apart for, like, what feels like forever, it's probably, like, eight or ten seconds, like, it's not that long. But, like, I, I just want her to go away. She kisses him. I'm just like, mm. it's like, it's not terrible, but I'm just like, it feels, what you said, Nick, it feels out of character for her. Well, and, you know, I guess here's the thing that I don't say very often. There's a lot of stuff that, well, actually, I say this all the time, especially I used to say it a lot to students. But there are things that happen in real life. There are, there are situations that happen. There's, there are feelings. There are, there are impulses that you can have that make sense in the moment. Like they, they feel right in the moment, but that for some reason put to film don't make any sense. The context isn't there for some reason that it just doesn't quite line up. It doesn't quite work. And this may be one of those things that, yeah, in a heightened situation like that, maybe she was, maybe she's just realizing she knows this guy has been through this a thousand times and she's impressed with him and she is, you know, and, and she knows that she's about to die. She wants one last thing that wasn't communicated very clearly for right. that moment. That being said, since I still have no memory of it, I don't know <laughs> if I, I don't know if I just legitimately happened to look down. This happened to me on Avengers Endgame, where in the theater I was like, "Yeah, Captain Marvel never really got to have a moment." And then I watched it again on Disney Plus, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh wait, no, she totally had a moment. How did I miss? Yeah, this? no, she saves, she saves the Earth. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's very possible that I just happened to look away or happened to respond to a text or something." Um, at that exact moment, and I just happened to miss it all four or five times I've watched this movie. Can something at least be said to the fact that it's maybe the greatest throwaway kiss in a film that, like, two out of three people don't even remember it? <laughs> maybe I made it up. No, I didn't make it up. And the thing I, I was trying to remember, I, I cut it out of the podcast because I was stumbling over my words, but I was trying to remember something I experienced. I thought it was something I watched, but it was something I read where the book Recursion by Blake Crouch, which I read at the end of last year, I mentioned on some other podcast. I don't remember what we were talking about, Mike. But it's, again, it's kind of a time loop movie or time loop, time loop story. And in that, like, there's a couple and they keep, like, resetting and, like, everything like that. And it's like this, like, but they're they're both kind of able to do it and they're experiencing, like, 40 years and then they reset. And, like, it's just, like, this whole, like, you're living an Whoa. entire life. Like, it's not just a day. It's like you live a life with a person and right. then you have to reintroduce yourself to that person. And, like, that's just feels exhausting like all of this right? feels exhausting yeah and that's like, like... just feels the like the most <laughs> draining thing in the world like in yeah in an amazing way cinematically but like can you imagine having to like 
live through those first like eight hours like just getting to her every day yeah and having to like even though she knows she's been in that situation having to explain to her like no i have what you had it's like i wish like we could just like press a button like just okay we're good i'm here like fast forward (laughs) the movie does such a clever editing job of skipping over that night every almost every single time even to the degree where like he is shown in the dropship with duct tape around his mouth and it's like has he had that on for like 12 hours like i don't care this movie rules (laughs) but joey to your point of like exhaustion i I almost that's almost the reason why I like save the movie primer for select viewing because that movie exhausts me just thinking about how many yeah. times and how far back and how much does this guy have he must have like books and books of what he needs to do every time he goes back and stuff and it yeah it reminded me of this watching it where it's like that isn't resetting the day per se like this is but like it kind of is the same idea done in a different way and you know just as intriguing for sure but speaking of Primer. I pulled up when we were talking before about like how many Groundhog Day stories there had been. There is a Wikipedia article called List of Films Featuring Time Loops. So Groundhog Day, believe it or not, was actually the sixth movie, according to this, that actually had one. The first one was The Girl Who Leapt Through Time in 1983. Mm-hmm. There was one in 84, 87, 90, another thing in 93, and then Groundhog Day also in 93. So it's like fifth or sixth. But then there were like, you know, four more in the 90s. Then really? there were like... Yeah, in the 90s, I mean, it's not necessarily Groundhog Day, but it's the, the idea of going back through time and, like, looping in some way or another. Okay. But there's, like, Christmas Every Day, Retroactive, Run Lola Run, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, and then in the 2000s, there's a bunch, and then, like, like since 2016, basically, there have been 15 of them? Like, Ark and Doctor Strange and Hurok and Miss Peregrine and Before I Fall and A Day and The Endless and Happy Death Day and Naked and oh, Reset and mm, The Fair and Happy I Death mean... Day to You. And I know it's not exactly this, but it's <laughs> still the same idea of reliving time or, like, looping through time or being unstuck in time. It's not exactly Groundhog Day, the way that this is, kind of, with a genre twist or Happy Death Day is, but there's the idea of, like, the looping that does play a lot and yeah you know dr strange like it's beautiful in dr strange too like in that final battle right but like yeah but i would they, like they, they i would like to s- i would like to somehow differentiate the idea of character wakes up reliving the same day with general time travel movie because this is just you know this is just like a paradox that happens in time travel films where like someone or most or a lot of them right is the idea like what about back to the future 2 or, or avengers endgame can't those you know they're reliving the same day in a lot of ways spoilies but i'm saying like there needs to be more criteria i think to make it on the list but that's just me. I still love all these movies. <laughs> There's a thing on runp.com, which I think is the website that tells you when to go to the bathroom. In okay, yeah. They rank, there's 20 of them in order. Groundhog Day was the second one. Before that was the movie called Cause and Effect. But since then, movies that I know about, Run, Lola, Run. There was an episode of The X-Files called Monday. Source Code, Edge of Tomorrow, Before I Fall, Happy Death Day. Yeah, Source Russian Code, Doll, Travelers. that's solid conceit, yeah. Doctor Strange, like there's a bunch of them, right? Like there's a bunch of different ones where it's not like they're doing two or three a year, but there's a, there's a lot of examples out there. The bottom line, the TLDR is if you don't do it really well, people are gonna be like, oh, I've seen that before. Like Simpsons did it, but like Groundhog Day did it. Yeah, or they won't remember it. I don't know. I think it's got to be sort of the whole movie as opposed to just like the climax or a part or whatever. There was actually another one I wanted to mention. I don't know if you guys ever heard of this. It's actually the I think the last new found footage movie I watched because I just don't really like him, but there was something called like the Almanac or something like that. And it was kind of cool where like this guy found his dad's time machine and him and his friends went around like skipping school and going to like Coachella and things. Project Almanac. Project Almanac. Yeah. Actually did it pretty well for the found footage genre. 
Oh, I think I saw that in theaters. Oh, Is that okay. possible? Any other notes, Nick? Any other thoughts about Edge of Tomorrow before we uh, do some trivia? I have a couple of last-minute things, but uh, any other thoughts that you have and want to share about Edge of Tomorrow? I just want more people to watch this movie. Yeah. I, I want more people to talk about this movie. Yeah. In a time when a lot like everybody complains especially and when this was coming out people were complaining about this as well when people are complaining about you know ah oh, everything's a comic book movie and everything is this and everything is that i mean yeah this is based on a, a what was it a manga this feels like an original movie like this isn't taking something you're already aware of this is an original science fiction movie it's great it is exactly the kind of movie that i love to see and you know i don't really care if things are based on other things like that isn't a a complaint that I have, but it is like, it's not Iron Man. It's not Batman. It's not, you know, it's not any of these other comic book things. It's just this self-contained story. And oh my God, I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. Very well said. Mike, any other thoughts, any other notes? I mean, I just, I agree with everything Nick said. I, I pretty much agree with everything both you guys said the entire evening. Um, and, uh, like, yeah, <laughs> like, I think I love this movie because of like how unique it is. Like, you know, not in the sense that, look, there are, like we've been talking about, there are these time loop movies out there, but there's not another, like, alien invasion movie quite like this. There's not another Tom Cruise movie quite like this. You know, there's not, like, visually, aesthetically, like, all the things going on here, like, just push every one of my buttons. And uh, I love it for that. I love that it exists. Um, I love that it, like, caught me off guard, that I wasn't really, you know, that I sort of, like, w went into it the first time, like, not really expecting much from it, and then just being, like, incredibly blown away, like, straight to the moon, and uh, you just gotta give it up once again for Emily Blunt, like, I think this is the movie that I was brought to attention uh, with her, like, I known she was in Devil Wear Prada, but I never imagined her to pull, like, a Furiosa, she is in incredible in this movie, and, you know, now in, like, The Quiet Place and, and all kinds of stuff, like, her career. Sicario? Yeah, Sicario, another, like, maybe that's another perfect movie right there with her in it. Um, I mean, even Mary Poppins, I thought she was great last year. So I'm, like, 100% on board with her ever since then yeah. as well. So just great all around. So Tom Cruise is from Cranberry, New Jersey, which is, like, half an hour from me. So that's very exciting <laughs> to be a local boy, where they make tomatoes, not cranberries. And then two Mission Impossible connections that I have here. He flies a helicopter in this movie, which he does in a bunch of a bunch of Mission Impossible movies. And also, at the end, he swims down to take out the Omega, which is very Rogue Nation of him, oh. which we'll get to very soon. Did he fly the helicopter as Tom Cruise? So here's two things that I know. He did all of his stunts for this movie, and then at the premiere, they actually did three premieres in one day. They did one in London, Ooh. one in Paris, and then they flew to New York, and they did one in New York, and it was oh, at that's midnight. Pretty that's pretty funny. That's in like... the morning, and he landed a helicopter at one of them. Oh, okay. He can... Whether he did in this movie or not, I don't know, but I know he did all of his own stunts. Well, if he did all of his own stunts, there is a shot of him flying the helicopter. It would not surprise me if, if he was flying the helicopter. I saw one cool behind-the-scenes shot of how they were all rigged up in those uh, mech suits and stuff, that there was, like, this giant crane with a pulley system kind of, like, assisting them as they ran in those suits because they were actually, like, wearing very heavy, you know, material. Oh, I have trivia about that, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, we'll that. behind the scenes, uh, the sum that I've watched was, like, cool enough to be like, I want to watch, like, a whole documentary about this movie now. Uh, so, in terms of stunts, the thing, the plank that Emily... Blunt is doing where she's on her hands and no other part of her body is touching the ground. Like, she's aided by wires there, but apparently she can do that in real life, like, without touching the ground. She can just hold her body up with her hands or whatever, which is... Right, the incredible. wires would just make her still. Yeah. 
So, okay, so here's some trivia. There's a bunch here. I apologize, but I culled it down from a lot to the interesting bits. So when the guy, Hiroshi Sakurazaka, wrote the novel, uh, he got the idea from video gaming, resetting a game over and over again until finding the winning strategy. So basically, he's like, I'm going to write a manga about speedrunning, so Mike, you've been right all night. (laughs) So the reason that she uses, like, a broadsword is because... It makes sense. Like they, they, I guess they talk about this in the comic book. Guns can jam. You can run out of bullets. But like oh. a big-ass sharp sword is never going to not That's work. Is it a helicopter blade? I think it's a helicopter blade in the it movie. It might be. But yeah. Well, and it, it looks like a direct reference to Final Fantasy VII. It does. Which the remake is now out. And I've yes. never played either of them. I know, I know. When doing the car chase, Emily Blunt was instructed to drive fast and then take a right-hand turn so the van would shake, except she screwed up and she drove into a tree and she freaked out because Tom Cruise was in the car and she could have killed both of them. And apparently they just started laughing about it. So, like, it was a very nerve-wracking thing that, that you know, he's just like, hey, I, gotta do my own, I do my own stunts, including stunts that I didn't know were going to be stunts, like when my co-star drives me into a tree. So the suit, Mike, you mentioned, weighed 85 pounds, you're 85 to 90, and the armaments were between 120 and 125 pounds. That's too many pounds. It's a lot of pounds. And Tom Cruise didn't want them to be too CGI. He wanted them to look real. So he apparently showed up two months early to help develop the suit. Whoa. Emily Blunt, when she put it on, she started crying, according to IMDb Trivia, because it was so heavy. She was jokingly told by Tom Cruise to, quote, stop being such a wuss, which I think is just like, yeah, like she probably weighs what, like, 110, 120, 130 pounds, like to be almost double your body weight, like that's insane. That's a, that's crazy. Yeah, she's got to be a buck ten. The guy who yells at her bloody hell, it's a full metal bitch, and she punches in the beginning of the movie is her brother in real life. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's perfect. One thing that we have not heard in a while, but I think we heard a while back, was that Tom Cruise apparently saw her in other movies and like wanted to work with her, and so he basically, I don't know if he cast her or just like was like hey let's do this but he basically got her hired which you know when you're tom cruise you can choose who you work with i wonder what performance that was to be like she could do this not that she can't do anything whatever but i mean like i mean she kind of plays like if you had to in uh devil wear prada she's not like the nicest person but like (laughs) i don't know that that's like i'm sure she's done tons of work that just was not released in america and he's just got access to everything before this years before this like in 2010 i saw sunshine cleaning which was really good. Okay. Where she, I don't remember who is in the movie with her, but she and her sister. Oh, open Amy up Adams, like a, maybe. Maybe they open up like a when a person dies, like they'll go in and clean up like the blood or the, yeah. the, the, the whatever in the house. The crime scenes and stuff. One of the <laughs> one of the funniest things is that apparently in reshoots they added Jeremy Piven to the movie because they're like we need to add Jeremy Piven, and then everything that they shot he got cut out. So they thought what? in <laughs> retrospect. <laughs> We need to add Jeremy Piven to this movie. And then they're like, on second thought, never mind. First of all, I can't imagine that thought ever popping into someone's head. Uh, Two, are those the deleted scenes? And three, I could have used a little Stanley Tucci in here somewhere, maybe. But that's the only extra addition I would have peppered in. Yeah, I agree. Jesus, Jeremy Piven. (laughs) Two other things. I saved the sort of the biggest ones for last. So originally considered, and this is actually a two-parter, originally considered for the role of Bill Cage was something we did a podcast about. Nick Cage. Ryan Gosling. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if Gosling would work. I think he's uh, too restrained. He's too quiet, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I love him. Obviously, I love him. But, like, I don't know that he works here. I think what works so well for, for me, for Cruz here, is that I was not expecting him to be a sniveling 
coward in the opening yeah. of this, right? But like, I could kind of see Gaz doing that and and making it work. Uh, I mean, that's sort of him and the nice guys. He's like this, you know, false bravado dude and stuff. But here, I think it works better. Has Gosling done an action movie that isn't a Reffin movie? Uh, Blade Runner. Yeah, I think it's down. Yeah, in that. but like that's again, that's kind of it's it's almost Reffin-y. Like it's the contemplative. Yeah, he's never done slow. something like you know the, like what The Rock does, right? Like the rundown yeah. or anything like a Fast and Furious. But... Also consider for the role, which I I could see and I would also love. Mr. Brad Pitt. Okay, now that I could see. Didn't World War Z kind of come out around this time, which is like... because year before, oh, I okay. think. Because I think that might have been his, like, I'm going to do sort of a mainstream blockbuster, I'm ready, right? Like, he had never yes. quite gotten there yet, and maybe he was just a year too soon to do this movie. What I just saw before we started recording, which is crazy, which is not anything to do with Cruise Club, but has to do with Cage Club, is that when there's a whole thing on The Hollywood Reporter about Matthew Vaughn trying to get Kick-Ass made. He had met Brad Pitt while they were filming Snatch, and the original casting for Big Daddy was going to be Brad Pitt, Mm. which would have been crazy. But then Tarantino swooped and was like, hey, come do Bastards. So he did Bastards, and then they cast Cage as Big Daddy, which worked worked out out for everybody. Yeah, Yeah, I think that was good for everyone involved. But I can also see Brad Pitt as Big Daddy. I think that would have been good too, but you know, Cage as Big Daddy is... Chef's kiss. Exactly. I think Cage brought that whole Adam West vibe to it, which just accelerated that entire performance. Yeah, clearly Brad Pitt would just bring the the Clooney Batman, just, you know, the Danny Ocean <laughs> Batman. <laughs> and the final bit of trivia that I have, then we have to play a couple games, is this is the the alternate ending that almost was. So as they approach Paris in the dropship, Cage tells the soldiers that they must not kill an alpha or it will k- cause a time loop and we'll be right back here having this conversation. We won't even know it. During fighting, one of the soldiers gets separated, then confronts and kills an alpha. The audience sees the Omega reset the day and witnesses the same conversation as before about not killing an alpha, but then an attack starts, and the audience knows that the mimics have the upper hand as the movie ends, which is a fucking downer of an ending. Yeah, no, we can't do that this late in the game. You can't, no. no. Mm-mm. I think if anything were to happen, like, Emily Blunt gets the power back instead of Tom Cruise at the end of the movie, you know? Like, that's the switch up, I think, if anything. I think this whole movie was designed to leave you feeling good. Yeah. Like, there's a lot in here. There's a lot in here that you feel you, you do feel bad about. Like, you do feel bad about the death the the pain that these people have to go through the pain that Rita has obviously had to go through both emotional and physical but obviously this is a action romp and it does it so well i think the idea of going with a a downbeat ending doesn't really make sense for this movie at least it wouldn't to me i think i don't think i'd be as disappointed as i'd be like wait what that what huh yeah it'd almost be like phil connor's like at the very end of that day waking up again right or like realizing it did it you know like it's against the idea of the whole conceit in the first place for me, which is like you eventually break the loop and like you succeed and you know. Yeah, in that one it was learn to be a a decent human being. That's an odd thing that they wanted to go that way. Yeah, I'm glad they did that. I think they shot it too. I I cut this part out because it wasn't as interesting, but like some of the reactions to like how he's talking to them like feel like it's from that ending. I don't know, but I don't know. Okay, very important question. We just talked about how Mr. Brad Pitt and Mr. Ryan Gosling were almost or maybe possibly Cage in this movie. Do you think, and I think the answer is very clearly no, even though he was, he's been in war movies before, could Tom Hanks play the role of Major slash Private uh, Bill Cage? No. Or, if not, <laughs> who could he be? I think yeah, no is the answer, but like if not, who could he play in this movie? 
Oh, he could have played Bill Paxton's part, even though I love oh, Bill Paxton. I'd have loved to have seen Hanks do a drill sergeant. That'd have been cool. I yeah. was going to say the scientist, you know, as like a cameo. I think he could also play maybe the Brenda Gleason role. Yeah. Yeah, could be. Oh, that was something we didn't really talk about here. I did like the fact that it felt, uh, it didn't feel just like the American army. It felt like it was a it was a congregation of a few different armies. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of my favorite uh, sort of flourishes is when he wakes up the first time, there's all the um, announcements in all different languages going over the yeah. PA speaker. I was like, man, that's such a nice little subtle touch. So now, first question here, or I guess second question, since we all said no to the Hanks thing. <laughs> Sorry, Hanks. Does Tom Cruise run in this movie? And I think the I mean... answer is yes. I mean, as much as he can in a 100-pound suit, but yes. I mean, even without it, there's a there's some stuff he does uh, near the end, I believe, where he's running. My favorite run, though, is uh, like sort of, I guess it's, you know, at the height of him and uh, Emily Blunt's sort of tag team and he saves his uh that little his platoon the j squad or whatever like he just comes running around the little hill and and they're like what the hell (laughs) i agree that was great now a different question you might remember this from the lestat conversation we found someone on twitter harper effect who said you could replace tom cruise's character name in any movie with the name lightning mcqueen and not a thing would change do you think if he was major or private lightning mcqueen this movie would still work no. <laughs> Why not? I don't think it works. I think the name uh, Cage works really well because he is very, I mean, it's a, it's a very, it's a metaphorical name. He's caged. He's trapped. He's, he is terrified of everything. And I think that works. I think if you give him over the top cool guy name, it starts to kind of mess with the overall arc of the character it's like is he already cool what why is he if he's already cool and and everything then why does he have to go through this journey not that you'd be having those thoughts on the surface but i don't i don't think it works in here i think the name bill cage works for him there's something so bland at first sight about the name william cage or bill cage or you know it's just like such an innocuous name where it's just like here's a guy who just like gets lost in the system or whatever and yet there's so much meaning behind it in this movie that like to lose it would sort of ruin his character, maybe. Uh, having said that, um, I definitely think his first name could be Lightning. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Lightning Cage. Well, they, what's what's also kind of a nice bit of fortuitous naming is that the name Cage comes from the Japanese character, the name in the manga, Keiji, K-E-I-J-I. And I don't know if that sounds like it or if they translate or whatever, but like, it works as both the translation and also just as the uh, he's a man in a cage. And then he's in a literal cage later on, like you guys were saying, and I love it. I, I just love that. All right, so I guess we'll say no to Lightning McQueen, unfortunately. <laughs> the final thing we have to do is nominate this for some awards. Actually, Nick, do you have any thoughts on what we can name these awards? We are running out of daylight here in terms of naming the awards. The <laughs> golden something, the silver something, whatever we want. Sort of like, I, I don't know, like we've done the golden peaches, the golden hot dogs, the... We have the golden woodies going on black and chrome teeth oh yeah why do we do teeth oh because charlie's has has dentures i think i don't remember (laughs) i don't know (laughs) that was uh i think that was for uh fury Uh, Fury road Road? yeah the chrome was definitely fury rose so maybe the teeth teeth? 
Well, there's teeth. She she dated the dentist in that thing you do. I don't know what we were thinking half the time. <laughs> I don't know, but we need it. We need a name for the awards for the the Cruise Club Awards. Uh, the Cruise Club Awards could be. Uh, oh, geez, I am bad at this stuff. But uh, let me think here. One, one, uh, what do we got? What like we for got? for Hanks, we have the obvious. It's the Woodies. It's just the the, yeah. the Sheriff Woody Awards, right? So like easy slam dunk here. We've been throwing around the sunglasses. It's got to be something maybe from Mission Impossible, but like. The case files doesn't sound right. Like the self-destructies, the <laughs> the, the need for speedies, um, the Mavericks. Ooh, that's the Mavericks not... isn't bad. I actually just thought in the need for speedies, we could do with the golden hammers and just drop the hammer on somebody. <laughs> okay, that's a very kind of like people know Days of Thunder, but people don't. The know mellow Days of yellows. That way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep thinking, but best film or best of the worst for sure. Best film. I mean, may just win it. We'll find out. Best cruise role? Yes. Uh, it's up there. I don't. I still hold Lestat. I think is a as a better nice. overall performance. Ah, no, I don't. I take that back. Ooh. Mm. I think this is. I think this is actually a sneaky good performance. What I like about both roles to to compare the two that you just mentioned, they're both living far more life than a normal person. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a secret vampire. Yeah. <laughs> life extension. Tell me why so. I definitely would say this is in the running for me. The work that he does in this is really way better than I think people talk about. I, I, I think yeah. specifically in that montage and then the scene that, um, Mike, I think you were bringing up what, when he was talking, when he decides to do it without Rita, and just this hollowed out shell he's become. He's not doing much, but yet he's doing a lot. And it's really... So yeah, I, I may consider this. Okay. Yeah. I, it's Mike, a I'm really assuming, good role. Like, I'm assuming you agree? Yeah. I mean, I am i don't know that... I mean, not just for a cruise movie, but like, we see a complete shifting character with this character. Like, yeah. we see a complete change in this guy from beginning to end. Like, basically from a guy who wants credit for doing nothing to someone who doesn't take credit for saving the world kind of is like how I thought about it and you know that's awesome it's kind of rare and I was like yeah I definitely got to nominate him this time around uh most badass role I'm going to throw that there too because it is oh yeah it's it's very badass most daring role to take I do not think so most no. wasted performance I do not think so best fight is a very good question because I think it it's kind of in the spirit of best fights but they're also kind of CGI bullet fights right or do we want to say blindly dodging fists in the rain. <laughs> um I you know I I call everything that's good in this movie a battle. Okay. Right. So yeah. We can skip that maybe. Yeah, okay. One thing I was expecting actually and I actually thought it was in the movie and it's not is uh I thought he and uh, Emily Blunt during the training actually like sort of battle it out uh, against each other in the training zone but he just uses those like twirly droids and things like that so if there was like a you know a throwdown between the two of them during the training then maybe a bro down throwdown <laughs> best theme song soundtrack score no unmemorable generally best vehicle chase race no i mean there he's kind of in a vehicle but not really the mech suit wait a minute wait wait a minute wait whoa 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 okay. whoa 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 okay 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 we got to talk about the minivan. Okay. Now, is it best? I don't know, but it is there. I'll say minivan getaway. <laughs> yeah, that minivan getaway with the trailer and <laughs> and it getting shredded and then eventually just falling off was really entertaining. Yeah, okay. That's fair. So that's a good point. I'm glad you remember that. Glad you called that out. You don't remember the kiss, but you remember the minivan. I hmm, don't remember the kiss. Very interesting. Best dance scene. I think... 
like we talked about earlier, a lot of the movie could be seen as dancing, but I don't know that it is. There's no actual dancing in this, right? No. No. Best Cruise Outfit Wardrobe? I mean, that that suit, the cage suit. Okay. I mean, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Especially when he is not wearing the helmet. It, it looks pretty badass. Where's your helmet? Never wear one. It's a distraction. Yeah. That's great. Uh, I also love that line where he's like, uh, hey, there's something wrong with your suit. And he's like, yeah, there's a dead guy in it. <laughs> <laughs> and they all get real quiet, like, oh, whoa, that went somewhere. Best sunglasses? No, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't think, think he ever... He... Does he wear them? No, I don't, I don't think, so. think he gets a chance. The most difficult category, I don't know what to do here. Best death. Oh, God. <laughs> all? It's gotta, it's just, it has to be all of them. It's just all of them in Edge of Tomorrow. Okay, but can we just take a moment and and say which one of the deaths is our favorite? I think the one when he first saves Emily Blunt and he's got like the hole in his chest and he can't tell like how bad he is and he's like, I think I'm hit and she's like, There's a hole in your chest. He's like, Really? He's like, Are you taking my ammo? Like I don't there's just something so he's so perplexed because he was expecting help and I don't yep. think she knows that it's him yet, right? So she's just no, like, who's this no, weirdo? Yeah, like this guy's just a freak. Uh, like, What is he doing? That I think is up there for me. And it's one of the early on ones too. So I'm like not really like acquainted with what exactly is going on. Nick, what about you? Oh, uh, My favorite is, and it's really kind of weird because it's a, it's a, it's one that's played straight up for comedy, but it's the one where he first tries to roll under the truck yes, and, oh. and gets squished. And then Bill Paxton's reaction is just so beautiful. It's just stunned silence. It's great. I think uh, someone but... ADR'd a line and was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of the bits of trivia was that Tom Cruise wanted every death to be both funny and horrifying. And I think they pretty much get that most of the time. Yep. The point, like, what works well about that death is that it's the, one of the very few ones that we see people react to. Because really, in a lot of these places where, like, he probably, like, he might not have actually died immediately at the time that, you know, he gets run over by the Jeep. Like, he might have lied there for a couple minutes or whatever, like, and just, you know, bled out or whatever, right? But, like, right. they're all watching him in horror. Like, why did this guy doing push-ups just roll under a car? Like, what is going on? <laughs> I think I got to go with like just one of the times where just Emily Blunt is so fed up with him and just shoots him almost out of anger. Just like, I can't, I can't deal with you right now. Like I'll come back to like, not come back tomorrow, but like I'll come back today when you come back to me today. Like I just can't deal with you right now. Like this version of me, I'm fed up. She's great. Like she is so trigger happy. Like when they're in the office at the end, uh, trying to get like the prototype and she just wants to shoot the guy and he's like, would you just, would you just wait? Okay, just don't shoot him. All right. Like, you get the sense that, like, she's just so triggered. And then when he loses it because of the blood transfusion, like, her first impulse is to just, like, shoot him in the head. He's like, whoa, 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 I lost it. I lost it. I think my second runner-up is the is one where she's about to shoot him, and he's like, no, 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 I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. Oh, hell, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> best line or best freak out? Is there something that Cruz says in this movie that we want to... I feel like the best lines... Like, I think the memorable line, to me at least, is come find me when you wake up. But that's not him. That's her. So... Yeah. Is there something that he says either in anger, the freak out, or a line that he just delivers normally that we want to nominate as one of the best lines in Cruz's career? Never wear one. It's a distraction. Yeah, that's a good one because the one the one I said about like even the dead guy, that's like a whole setup punchline kind of. It's not just him talking. So I think yeah, just for strictly him, that's a good one. And it's so like it just oh man, it just fits him at that moment so well too. Best sex scene? No, there are none. Most athletic feat, is there something that Tom Cruise, the actor, does? Not the character. I mean, he did all his own stunts. Is there something in this movie that he does athletically 
I mean, just maneuvering around in the suit, maybe, but like... But then everybody on set did that, right? Like, everyone right. wearing one went through it. So is there anything he specifically, I, we'd say, like... Uh... I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think this deserves to be nominated for this, but I did quite like... There was... Uh, when he gets to the dam and has to, like, skirt under a piece of concrete and stuff, It uh, there was something about it, like, I know that floor is padded. I know it, but this looks wildly painful everything yeah. that he's doing and so it's like a really good stunt like a really good solid stunt and he sold it well but yeah i don't think it deserves to get nominated but i do like it i think it's very good best running scene i think we talked about before that there's a lot of running but there's not like a running scene right like there's not like a highlight of his athleticism there is there i don't think so no there's a couple like cool slow-mo shots of him running there's the one there's that one funny running gag where he keeps trying to save the fat guy on the beach that gets crushed <laughs> by the drop ship like and then the final time he just kind of like looks over his shoulder like whatever yeah yeah best or worst love story no like i think that what what works about this movie is that there isn't a love story one of the things that works about this movie is that there isn't really a love story there's like the chemistry but they don't they're they're almost by the nature of the story not able to have a love story no it's camaraderie is what develops it's not it's not and i maybe that's why my brain keeps phasing out that kiss just like nope doesn't belong it's so great like this movie proves like you could have all this stuff all this plutonic stuff and you could call it all this and you don't have to throw romance in there to boot you know like let's just you know like it's it's totally fine like we don't have to have them get together in every movie it's great when they don't yeah yeah and then best ensemble cast or best non-cruise actor male or female gotta do emily blunt for sure and then god yeah best ensemble cast too right i think so yeah yeah well is it no. big enough? Or maybe maybe it's the, maybe not enough screen time because it is like sixty percent him, thirty percent. Well, maybe like fifty percent him, forty percent her, ten percent everybody else. I feel like if this was the if this was the movie without the resetting, if this was just the we're gonna independence, it's the battle L.A. Right? If this was battle in L.A., which is kind of like the similar thing at the time, which is why that movie is excruciatingly boring, you know. And we have Bill Paxton developing and all this stuff, but these characters kind of stay in place for the most part, except for Cruz, which I think is really cool, which helps highlight his change more. So I don't know that they're really there. I mean, they're there to support, but I don't know. It's a tough call. No, they're a supporting cast. It's not an ensemble. You're right. Okay. Classic ensemble, you know, Aliens is an ensemble where it's all of these characters are working together and all of these actors are working together. Yeah. It's not just, you know, our two stars and then a bunch of really good character actors. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Every time I see Bill Paxton now, it just breaks my heart. I just want him to be making more movies. And yeah. I just and then I have to remember that he's passed on and it's hurtful. In better news and happier news, eight nominations, best film, best role, most badass role, best vehicle chase race, best outfit wardrobe, best death, best line and best non-cruise actor female. I mean, Joey, this is this is the pinnacle of what Cruz has been doing the entire time, which is dying and coming back to life. Like this is the this is like a thesis film for students of Tom Cruise. (laughs) Deaths without consequence, but with consequence. It's a very weird thing. So, Mike, like I said, today, as this comes out, also out the terminal next Friday, the two episodes we have coming out is the Polar Express on Memories. And (laughs) and then on on this feed, we have Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. So to go from this movie to that movie, hashtag blessed. (laughs) Man, like we've got like six more movies left and I love, I mean, I love two of them. 
Well, the I mummy's really coming up. I know you, you just stopped yourself short because you looked at the list and you're about to say I love them all, but you saw the mummy. Well, so we have Rogue Nation, <laughs> which I love. We have Jack Reacher Never Going Back, which I like. I, we have the mummy, which we will cover. Get, no, get, we no. have American Maid, which I really like. We have Fallout, which I love. And then, you know, whenever at some point we're going to have Top Gun 2 and stuff. And, like, mm-hmm. we're, you know, I'm getting a little wistful for coming to the end. Like, as much as I want to. Cr- I love Cruise Club. Like, I, I wish that he was the one with 60 movies as opposed to Hanks. Like, I, you know. I'm I know not you going do. to can litigate feel that here, but oh boy, we've got yeah. so many more Hanks movies and so few of them I'm looking forward to. I, I mean, I think you you even knew that. Like, I was shocked how earlier we were going to finish with Cruise than Hanks. Like, it just never, I just never bothered to look, I guess, but it just never occurred to me either that he's got so many less movies. But, I mean, you know, we're still going to have a bunch of good Hanks for the memories coming up. I know Cloud Atlas is a big one for both of us, so at least we're going to, we got that on the horizon. And there. I found out in this episode that Emily Blunt is in. Charlie Wilson's War, so she'll be back on Hank's oh, Memories cool. before too long. So very okay. excited about that. But yeah, some things, really good things coming up. We still got a couple more Toy Story movies. We got Cloud Atlas. There's other stuff that's good that's coming. It's just Cruise Club is like the gift that keeps on giving. And Hank's <laughs> Memories is like just like a swift kick in the dick sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I mean like <laughs> I only celebrate Christmas, but it feels like Cruise Club is Christmas morning and Hanks for the Memories is like Hanukkah maybe where you, there's 8 days and not every day you get like the best gift. Maybe you get like 5 out of 8 really cool oh, gifts. I, I or was something. thinking more like it's like the day after Christmas where like you have some nice toys <laughs> and you're also like, "Oh man, like Christmas isn't going to come for another 11 months and 4 weeks and like, ugh. <laughs> like it's still like you're 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 merry. It's the season, but it's not like it's not the good part. We've got we've got different metaphors, but the same feelings behind them. I feel like. <laughs> oh, oh boy, it is so bizarre to me. It is so bizarre how Tom Cruise can be making so many movies, but they're all quality movies, right? Yeah. Like he's not making direct-to-video Nick Cage style. Right. You know, it, it, it's so bizarre to me that he's doing as much as he's doing at such a high high level. And it's weird, too, because Tom Cruise is also working at an extraordinarily high level, just not as often. It's weird, too, that I saw that Hanks even has a direct-to-video movie at all. I was like, whoa, wow, that's insane to me to even consider. Yeah, just that the, I think Joey and I were both a little, like, surprised, to be honest with you, when we were like, all of these movies are awesome. (laughs) Like, what is going on? I had no idea that it was going to be, like, this good. Well, Nick, thank you so much for joining us. I think this is a series wrap for you, at least as of now, on the Tom Tom Club. So there are a hundred episodes of your podcast, Real Bad, for people to listen to, but is there anywhere else online that you want people to find you? You can find me at Twitter, um, at NG Jenkins, if you want to, I don't know, keep up with my shenanigans, which are, you know, it's a 43-year-old dude's shenanigans, so it's not much shenanigans, but... Plus corgis. And if you want to follow me on Instagram just to get a lot of corgi pictures, you can do that. I'm at, at NG Jenkins there. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And Mike, like I said, next week we got Rogue Nation, which is very good. And we got Polar Express, which question mark, but I'm assuming not as good as Rogue Nation. But what if, what if it's better hmm. than Rogue Nation? Who knows? I don't know. I'll eat my hat. I, <laughs> but for all things Cruise Club and Hanks and the Memories and Real Bad and all 27 shows here on the Cage Club Podcast Network, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub or at Cage Club Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, run, R-U-N, at cageclub.me. Still looking for an award show name, so if you have an idea, email it in. We'll come back next week for our Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Check out Hanks and the Memories today. Check out High School Slumber Party today. Check out our Nothing But Time episode of Too Fast, Too Forever today. Fridays are truly for fun now that we've got four episodes we're releasing every Friday. Hashtag quarantine. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Nick Jenkins. We'll see you next time right here on Cruise Club. <laughs> <laughs>